We are all trained dancers. So we, the three of us grew up dancing together since we were about three years old. We each trained in classical ballet and various other dance styles. So we danced together growing up. And then at the beginning of quarantine, so in March of 2020, all three of us ended up finding ourselves at home because we came home from school at the beginning of quarantine. And actually... We didn't know a lot about TikTok. Only Ash, who's our youngest sister, knew about it. And she spotted some trends and said, hey, I think we should make a video together just for fun. We were just passing time, kind of bored, doing our online Zoom classes and then decided to just make a couple of videos. It was totally for fun. And then within a couple of weeks, some of our videos began to gain a lot of traction and started to go viral, which is how everything sort of took off. But from the beginning, it was sort of just for fun. And then it turned into something more as the weeks went on. Welcome to the Sidcast, the podcast where we sit down with a fascinating guest each week to hear their story, who they are, and how they got to be that way. My name is Sid Finkelstein, a professor at Dartmouth College, and your host and guide as we embark on a journey of learning, discovery, and good old-fashioned conversation. Welcome to the SIDcast. This is Sid Finkelstein, and this is episode 107. And it's an unusual one because I think for the first time in all of these episodes of the SIDcast, I have three guests at once. And that's not a random situation because these are sisters. There's Ami, there's Rish, and there's Ash Jakaria. They are three sisters who actually have become a sensation on TikTok and on social media by dancing traditional Indian dances, sometimes to Bollywood themes, sometimes to more modern themes, kind of mixing and matching, a little bit of jazzy in there as well, a lot of different types. They've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers all over the place. And what's really interesting is I found out about the Jacaria sisters because one of the three sisters was my student and she just graduated from business school not that long ago and has a job that has nothing to do with dancing, has nothing to do with being a social media influencer, has nothing to do with TikTok. And she's kind of doing two careers at once. And what's so interesting is Omi is a student at Dartmouth and graduated, as I mentioned, has a lot of background experience in innovation and design. But her sister, Rashika, is actually going to law school right now. And then Ashika is an engineer. So we have three really smart, high-powered, high kind of career-oriented young women who have come up with a, I don't want to call it a side hustle because it's kind of big now, but a side venture that is all about creating and honoring traditional music that they grew up with, that they know, they understand. And it turns out that there's a very large South Asian diaspora around the U.S. in particular, but in other places, who really understand this and really love it and really appreciate that. And so we have a story here that has a lot of different angles from three young people that have very professional careers in the very earliest stages of those careers, have this dancing business and social media branding business that connects to their past and connects to their history and upbringing to some extent, and allows them to combine their Indian and American identities through art and through content. And it turns out that there's a lot of companies, a lot of brands that find this really interesting. And they've gotten quite a bit of traction already. They were actually on ABC Good Morning America, and we'll include the link to that in the show notes. But they've been on CBS, they've been in Brown Girl Magazine, they've gotten quite a bit of publicity. And it's something because they're proud of their traditions, their heritage. They're proud of 
their performing arts focus, and they're certainly proud of building this social media presence, but they're also building careers, mainstream professional areas. And how do they juggle these three? I mean, where this, how this happen? How do they end up doing this? And what's it like? And how do you juggle these different careers at the same time? And what's next? How are you going to manage that? And how is that working? What a great story, because it shows young people that don't have to follow traditional rules. You got your career, you got your regular mainstream challenging career, but you got this whole other thing going on and you don't have to apologize to anyone for it. You just do it and people love it and people respect that. And that's different. And maybe that's what we need. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I had Alex Liu on the Sidcast and we talked about joy at work. And maybe the way to get joy at work is not just the work, but creating a degree of autonomy or flexibility where people can do more than just the regular job that they're doing and still perform at an extremely high level at that core job. That's a given. But with that, still do something different. So a lot of kind of interesting issues around careers, around working, around generations, around branding and social media as well. There's so many parts of the story. But I think what you're really going to like is just really fun and delightful to talk to the three sisters and hear what they have to say and hear their stories because they have a lot to say. And I think they're going to have a lot more to say as time goes by. So the Jacarier sisters on the Sidcast. Welcome to the Sidcast. This is Sid Finkelstein, and it's a first for me. I have three guests on at the same time, the Jacaria sisters, and I'm thrilled to have you on. Rather than all of you saying something at the same time, we talked about this ahead of time. I'm just going to ask each of you to just maybe introduce yourself to everyone, and then we'll get into the discussion. So let's start with Omi. Hey, everyone. I'm Omi, also Omika, and I just graduated from the Tuck School of Business with my MBA, and I'm also one of the three Jakaria sisters. Good. And uh, Ash? Hi, everyone. My name is Ashika, also go by Ash. I am a recent graduate from Georgia Tech, where I studied industrial engineering for my undergraduate degree, and I am also one of the sisters for the Jakaria sisters. So you just graduated, so have you started work or you're about to start work? I am about to start work in about a month, and I'll be working at L'Oreal as an operations full-time employee, so I'm really excited about that. Okay, and then Rish. Hi, everyone. It's so great to be here. I'm Rishika. I also go by Rish. I graduated from Emory University in 2020, where I studied political science, and I am now a rising 2L at Fordham University School of Law. Okay, fantastic. It's great to have you. So let's start with this idea. Where did the idea come from? And I'll just ask Omi, but any one of you can jump in also. Where did the idea come from? We are all trained dancers. So we, the three of us grew up dancing together since we were about three years old. We each trained in classical ballet and various other dance styles. So we danced together growing up. And then at the beginning of quarantine, so in March of 2020, all three of us ended up finding ourselves at home because we came home from school at the beginning of quarantine. And actually... We didn't know a lot about TikTok, only Ash, who's our youngest sister, knew about it. And she spotted some trends and said, hey, I think we should make a video together just for fun. We were just passing time, kind of bored, doing our online Zoom classes and then decided to just make a couple of videos. It was totally for fun. And then within a couple of weeks, some of our videos began to gain a lot of traction and started to go viral, which is how everything sort of took off. But from the beginning, it was sort of just for fun. And then it turned into something more as the weeks went on. Yeah. And Ash, what was your idea? Just really for fun? I mean, you were doing a little market research, it sounds like, and what's getting (laughs) cool on TikTok. 
Yeah, so everyone in my grade at school had TikTok at the time, and it was sort of where people posted memes and jokes. And I also saw a huge dance community there, which oftentimes you don't see on social media. So it was really cool that people were dancing on the app. And so I thought that as three sisters, we've grown up dancing, we've all trained in dance styles. I thought that it would be a great place to put our dances on social media. And it's a great app where you can get a lot of traction because there's a really specific algorithm to reach out to other dancers and especially South Asian dancers, which is our demographic that we try to hit. So that's sort of where the idea started. And like Omega said, it was all fun and games in the beginning, but now it's sort of become a lot more than that, as you can probably tell. Right, definitely. And did anyone need convincing? I mean, Rish, were you into it from the beginning? I was into it. I can't lie. I was skeptical at first because I had this idea about TikTok. I thought it was an app for, you know, the younger generation. I was graduating college, you know, ready to start law school. So I was skeptical. But as we started to see more trends, I saw just how wonderful the app is. It provides such a great platform for content creators who want to use their pages, you know, to reach different audiences. And that's what we've been able to do. So I feel so grateful that Ashika convinced us really well and that we embarked on this journey together. Yeah. And it's funny when you say yeah, it was for the younger generation. I'm not sure what you mean by that. <laughs> but okay, you guys grew up doing stuff together. It's not hard to tell that, you know, you're close. Did you dance together also as kids, Rish? Yes, we did. We all grew up dancing together. So we all began training in classical Russian ballet at the same dance school when each of us were individually three years old and we trained under the same teacher. And simultaneously, we were also learning classical Indian dancing. So we trained under the same teacher for classical Indian dancing as well. So we grew up performing together, doing recitals together. So when we started the TikTok, it really was reminiscent of younger days. Classic Russian dancing? Is that what you did? All of you at the age of three, you started. Were your parents dancers? No, so they weren't dancers, but we grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where there's a huge Russian community there. There are a lot of immigrants from all over the world that live in Brooklyn. So there was a really nice classical Russian ballet school there that our mom decided to put us in. We were the only South Asian dancers there, but I think it was a really cool opportunity for us to go there, explore this you know, new style of dance that not many of our other South Asian friends had been also studying. And so we grew up doing that for most of our lives. Yeah. And they're mostly kids of Russian families or just a wide variety of kids that were doing it? Mostly kids of Russian families were there. So oftentimes the teachers who were also Russian would speak in Russian at our classes. And it was kind of hard for us to understand, but it was a cool opportunity. I don't think many kids got to experience that growing up. So we were able to explore a different culture and meet different people that we probably would not have met if we hadn't been dancing at that school. Right. And did you guys do other stuff besides dancing together? Silent dancing is obviously a common theme all the way through. And of course, you did all other stuff because you're sisters. But did you do other organized things together? Rashika? Yeah, so we primarily grew up dancing together, but we're really lucky because our parents stressed the importance of academics while also encouraging our passion for dance. So during the summertime, we would get to explore different summer camps and different activities. We took some gymnastics classes together, some piano classes. We would also attend Kumon academic tutoring during the summertime together. So our summers were always really eventful and just a wide variety of activities that we felt encouraged to try. So what's the age difference among the three of you, Omi? Yeah, so Rishika is five years younger than me and Ash is six years younger than me. So they're just about a year and a half apart from each other. So I like to joke that they're practically twins. But I think as we've gotten older, that age gap feels a little bit smaller regardless. Yeah, for sure. And is there a sizable South Asian community in your neighborhood in Brooklyn? 
actually know where we grew up, as Ash was saying, it was a lot of immigrants from Eastern Europe or from Italy. So that was the main demographic. A lot of our parents' friends lived in Queens and Long Island. So we would often go there on the weekends for family events or even those Indian classical dance classes that Rish was talking about. But in Brooklyn itself, so where we went to elementary school and middle school, there weren't a ton of South Asians around us. So did you guys feel different growing up because there weren't a lot of other kids that looked like you? I mean, you were integrated with whatever was going on in the neighborhood, it sounds like, but did you feel different, Rashika? Yes, we were immersed in a very different cultural experience. And oftentimes our hyphenated identities became very apparent to us when we would go to school. We felt like, you know, we were more American versus on the weekends when we would go to Long Island and Queens and meet family friends who are of South Asian descent. We felt like we were engaging in more Indian activities. So it was definitely tough growing up trying to figure out what that identity meant to us. But I think that as we've grown up, as we all went to college and have now created this TikTok account, we've been able to further explore that identity and connect with more people from the South Asian diaspora that resonate with that hyphenated Indian American identity. Right. So have you found actually, so talking about kids and the diaspora and all that, have you gotten a lot of attention from young kids, South Asian kids, and maybe are growing up in places that they're the only ones, the only ones that look like them and they found you on TikTok and they've reached out to you. I mean, are you hearing that? Are you getting that type of feedback from people? Ashika? Yeah, definitely. We're so happy that we're in this age where there is like so much social media and so much worldwide spread where we can access so many different people because growing up, we didn't have that representation, especially in TV shows and social media. So now that we have that opportunity to have a platform and basically share these dances to anyone, anywhere. We get a lot of recognition for that. I mean, a lot of people reach out to us, DM us, comment on our videos, or even recreate our videos with our choreography. And they'll be like, we're so happy we got to see this. And this means so much to us because maybe they aren't growing up in a neighborhood where they have a lot of people that look like them. So we're really happy that TikTok, especially this app, has so much worldwide spread where we can access so many people. So let's go back to how this thing took off so quick. Why was that? I think Onika said within a few weeks, all of a sudden, you know, there were a lot of people downloading or listening. Did you do anything? Did you market this thing? You know, you said you just decided to do it because you wanted to do it. It was a fun thing to do. But then it starts to get a little bit more kind of intriguing, a little bit more interesting. Why do you think this happened? Yeah, Ashika. So like Omika said, when we first posted our first video, it was because I had the app and I really wanted to learn the stance that was going viral. And so we posted that video and that video didn't go viral. And we had a couple more videos after that that didn't go viral. So it's not like we posted something and all of a sudden we had 600,000 followers. Like that was not the case in the beginning. That was only for fun. And then later on, since TikTok is an app where a lot of people do trends, we saw this one trend. It was called the Oh Na 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 trend. And it was like really big during quarantine. But we decided to add a South Asian twist to it where we use dandia sticks, which are part of one of our folk dances. It's like a prop that we use when we dance. So Rishika and I made a TikTok doing that trend, but we added these dandia sticks that were a South Asian twist to the trend. And so that was our first video that actually went viral because we sort of took a trend that was on TikTok that everyone around the world was doing. And then we made it South Asian so that the people that we were trying to access through the app were able to relate to this video. And so that's how we started marketing our account. We were doing these trends that were also South Asian because that's our identity at the end of the day. We are Indian American. So we wanted to sort of combine that. And then moving forward, as we continue to make videos, we tried to add as much of our own flavor to these trends. And I think that's what really worked for us. So for example, we did the Macarena, but we added it 
with some Gerba Ras, which is another style of dance in our culture. And then there's also, we did some Gerba dances where we mix the music with Gerba and hip hop. So that's not something you see often, but we were able to do that through TikTok. So that's sort of how we marketed our account. And that's definitely how we started becoming viral. And that's how the videos we were posting started gaining more traction. So it wasn't like off from the start, it like took a couple of weeks to figure out who our audience was and what they wanted to see. And of course, a couple of weeks, not exactly a lot of time, but were you watching then the numbers move up like day by day, week by week? That must've been kind of cool. But it started with the three of you and your parents and some other family members, and then boom, it starts getting into real numbers. It sounds also that you wanted to find something that would catch on and be, if not viral, at least reach a lot of people, which of course makes perfect sense because you're in social media. But did you ever think that this would kind of take off where you're starting to get offers and coming on podcasts and never mind podcasts, national television, Omika? Yeah, it's not something that we expected from the beginning, but pretty quickly we started getting a lot of outreach from different brands or DJs who wanted to work with us or other dancers. And I think once it sort of caught on, I think there was like a domino effect where one thing after another just kept happening. And we had to very quickly learn how to work with brands, how to work with sponsors, how to have those conversations, how to negotiate, how to brand ourselves, how to create a personal media kit, things that we really had never done before, but we had to learn very quickly. So no, it's not something that we expected at all, but it's something that we've learned a lot from. And it's amazing. I think it's something that we learned from every day and we try to get better at every day too. Yeah. So it's an opportunity that came and you jumped on and you figure it out as you're going along. So could you share an example of one of the brands and how that, like they just had someone in their team reach out and email you or drop you a note in the app. How did that work, Amika? Yeah. So we created an email address pretty early on and just tried to route all of the inquiries through there. So we have people from brand teams that'll reach out directly to us. And then we actually also ended up starting to work with a manager who has been very helpful to us as well. Someone who has experience in this space around media and dance and entertainment. So it's kind of a team effort at this point where we all have meetings. We talk about the different opportunities that are coming in and how we want to approach them and how we want to set up those deals and making sure that they are also in line with our values and what we're trying to promote. And remembering that at our core, we are dancers. We are embracing our culture. We want to inspire people all over the world. So yeah, it kind of just comes through usually brand teams. And then we have a few conversations, making sure everyone's on the same page. And they often want to be involved with the content creation or rather coming up with the ideas for content and they need to approve all that. And then we usually submit it for approval and it kind of goes through that whole process. So it's almost like you're a kind of a creative advertising arm. I don't know if that's accurate or not, because you still have creative license, but you have a client that wants something the way they want it using your foundation. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. You're all nodding your heads. Audience, everyone's nodding their heads. But what about the first time that you got this call? I can imagine I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting, right? What was that like, Rashika? Can you say who it was, what brand it was? That before you got all these managers and all this work, before you start to figure it out, somebody calls and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Maybe we could do something together. I think it'd be interesting to hear how that transpired, Rashika. Yeah, I don't know if Omega and Ashika, do you guys remember who the first 
brand was that had reached out to us. I think it was probably Sani. Sani. Yeah. So the first brand that had reached out to us is a brand called Sani, and they are a South Asian clothing line based out of North Carolina. They are run by two sisters who are Indian American. So I think pretty quickly they realized that, you know, our brand as three sisters who try to bring South Asian representation to the media really reflected the message that they were trying to put through with their brand and the clothing that they put out. And the call was really great. It was so great to see somebody or a brand appreciate what we were putting out. They were very observant about, you know, how consistent we were with how we were putting out content and they really appreciated that. So it was a very exciting first collaboration that we had. And then soon after we had started having different brands reach out and we've been able to work with so many great clothing brands, food brands, just, I don't know, all the brands that we've worked with really just run the gamut. So what do they want, for example, for you to do? I'm having trouble picturing where does the brand show up and how do you kind of connect that and how you keep that in a way that's consistent with, as you know, Mika said, your values as well. So they reached out and the Sani brand is based around the idea of creating a new type of South Asian fashion line that really reflects the South Asian American identity. And so they wanted us to showcase their pieces in dances to show how easy they are to wear, how we can use their pieces to style our dances and show our identity through both dance and clothing. So it was a really interesting way for us to partner with Sani and work with some of the really beautiful pieces that they sent us. So you were actually wearing some of their pieces in your performance right exactly so that one is easy to see what's another category besides clothing that you can kind of share how you can co-create yeah shika so last year on july 4th we worked with lowe's the hardware hardware store yeah hardware store this is a good one go ahead and they basically wanted us to do a video to sort of show how you can celebrate July 4th, but COVID safe. So they wanted us to use sparklers and basically pass them from one side of the camera to the other. And so they wanted us to create this video where you could show how families can still have fun on July 4th without necessarily being together. So that's what their whole mission was behind that campaign. And they asked us to make a video as well as other content creators on TikTok. So that was sort of an interesting partnership because this is like a hardware store that's asking dancers to sort of be involved in their campaign but it was also a really cool experience because we had never worked with such a large company like that and it also like followed their mission statement of having fun and enjoying family time on July 4th which is sort of representative of our platform as well since we are three sisters and we were also celebrating July 4th at home together during quarantine. So actually once you explain it it's not hard to see it. Has there been any brand or client or partner that took more work on your part. They may have had an idea maybe when they reached out to you in the first place, but one that was a bit further afield that you had to think about how you're going to integrate this into who you are and what you're doing. Amika? Very recently, we worked with Sonicare. So they have their Philips One toothbrush and they wanted us to be involved with their campaign for this toothbrush. It was kind of a new line. It's a very travel-friendly brush, et cetera. At first glance, again, it doesn't seem like it would be something that relates to dance, but what they wanted to do was promote the message of travel, adventure, kind of being independent, free, feeling pretty with their product. And so we were able to actually make a couple of TikToks and Instagram videos showing how we incorporate different beauty and personal care products into our daily routines as dancers, as people who travel and study and have busy schedules. So that was definitely a little bit different, but it was, again, a really big brand collab that we did recently that definitely had us thinking more creatively too. Right. And so they would put it on their channels and then you'd be able to put on yours as well or link to the original, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. So it would be posted on both. 
So who's the target audience here? And the brands are different, but they're all using, or mostly using TikTok as a medium, and they want to partner with you. So let's start with your audience, independent of all the kind of the brand interactions that have been going on. How would you describe it? So this is like a business school question, right? I mean, what's your target market? But I want to know who you've discovered to be the listeners, whatever data you've been able to find, and even how you find out what the data are about your audience is interesting. Ashika? So luckily, all these apps that we use, including YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, they all have analytics, which is really awesome because, for example, Omega and I both study a lot of data analytics for our majors. So we really like those features that the apps have. And basically, they just show who your audience is, who's viewing your videos, who's clicking right past it. So who's basically not caring about your videos, who's liking your videos, who's commenting. And so our audience is typically a lot of people that are from cities in India. And then there are a lot of people that are in cities like New York and California and Atlanta, all those types of places. So it's pretty split between those two countries. And then in terms of female versus male, we typically have more females watching us since we are a sister trio and a lot of the content we put out are dances. So it's typically girls that are remaking our dances or watching our videos. And then in terms of age range, we typically have like our generation watching it and younger. So it ranges between like ages like 10 to about 30 and most of them are girls. So that's sort of like what we see on the apps when it shows us our data analytics and our insights. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's true that the analytics are getting better and better in all of these social media apps and elsewhere. And I'm curious about your kind of regular careers, let's just call it. <laughs> this is a classic side hustle that's kind of exploded in size or opportunity or potential. But is it correct to say that it's still on the side for the three of you, that you're each pursuing your own careers and lives totally independent of the Jakarian sisters as a business. Is that accurate? It's definitely more fun than real work. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a side hustle. I think we value both of our real careers as well as this, because this is as real as can be as well. It's definitely a place where we're also profiting. So I think both are things that we value and we're still putting attention towards our, what you would call real careers, but this is not just a side hustle anymore. I would say it's not a hobby. It's actually a place where we have a lot of room for growth and definitely a lot of doors opening. So definitely also a career. Not sure how comparable to our real careers. That the careers that you're trained through school, in some ways you're trained through life and life experience for what you're doing. Yeah, so that raises an interesting question about how this interacts with the, let's call it traditional career. I know Amika's going to consulting and it sounds like Rashika, you're going to law school and Rashika's starting at L'Oreal in a kind of a tech, a tech ops type of job, right? So first of all, did this come up? And if it did, how did it come up in job interviews? Ashika, why don't you go first? Yeah, it definitely came up in job interviews when I was recruiting. I think that it really showed a different side of me because it showed that I can also manage a business and I have entrepreneurial aspects and features as well. So I think it really helped in terms of comparing myself to other candidates when recruiting for jobs. I think handling your own business and being able to talk about finance with these other brands and companies and, you know, talking about all these deals really shows that I have that on my side in terms of applying for a job, but then also I can make room for a real traditional career as well. So I think in terms of recruiting, it definitely helped me. And being an engineer, this is something that sort of shows my business side as well. So it kind of makes it more appealing for any company to want to hire me. Yeah, actually for a technical career such as engineering, it's really going to stand out. 
this is too big a stereotype, but it's more true than not, as all stereotypes are. But engineers, you know, they're technically oriented and they don't always think about customers. They don't think about markets and you're kind of living that. Did you ever get any questions, Ashika, that were more, I don't know, skeptical in your job hunting? I did not. I guess I was lucky enough to not really have people skeptical, but instead people sort of were interested more in what I was doing. So I guess that definitely did work in my favor. And how about you, Amika? How did this work out in the job interview process? It really varied. There were times when it came up. There were times when it didn't come up. I found that some companies that I was applying to that were bigger, more established, maybe more general management, traditional roles. In my past, I also did a lot of entrepreneurial work before business school. So they kind of said, oh, you're definitely like an entrepreneur and you like doing your own thing. Do you really even want to work for a big company? And that was always a little bit tricky to answer. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, that did make me reevaluate what I was applying to. And I thought, okay, maybe this isn't the best fit. And I think I ended up where I was supposed to end up. But yeah, I mean, I think it gets trickier as you, you know, progress in your career and more people find out about it or if you're applying a, a more established company and they kind of see that entrepreneurial bug in you it can be scary for them but I think I've learned to sort of stay true to myself and understand that I want to work at a company that does value all my skills and talents and my whole self right and that's really the lesson you talk about fit and we usually think about it in terms of you know personality skill sets maybe work-life balance and who knows what else but this is a different dimension of fit that it's has a cultural side to it, but as an entrepreneurial side, as you're talking about as well. And I think that if you were doing this, well, there was no TikTok 20 years ago, but let's just magically bring it back and say there was, that business environment, business culture was really different. And we were starting to change because those were the days of the first internet boom, you know, the late 1990s. And it wasn't that unusual to see young people starting businesses and doing creative things and doing entrepreneurial things, but it was just at the very beginning of that. But if you go uh, just to maybe more accurate to say 25 years, I would be surprised to have heard your reactions to the interviewing process. So it's a really positive statement, I think, about some of the open-mindedness, not just open-mindedness, but it's adapting to the world, right? It's adapting to the reality of the world. There's lots of people that have other uh, interests, other business interests as well. And historically, it's like, you know, you've got to give us 100%. 110%. And I guess the trick is you have to perform at a really high level. That's not optional. But if you decide to have a little side business, even if it becomes a really big side business, that's fine to do that. So that's interesting. It's a kind of a statement about how the world's changed, but also a lesson for people that are job hunting now. I think I like how you just said that, Omika. It might not be the right place. If those are the questions they're asking, well, okay, I respect that. I know where it's coming from, but it might not be the right place for me. Let's go one step further and talk about clients now. So I know that's true for Omika. I'm not sure, Ashika, if you're going to be just internally, so you wouldn't have clients. So have you thought about this, Omika, and has anyone ever brought it up? You're going to work with some pretty impressive companies. You're going to InnoSight, which is a great consulting firm, tech consulting firm, and you're going to work with all kinds of interesting clients. And what you're doing, I don't think, is standard, even though it's much more common than it ever was before. Did anyone raise that issue? And whether they did or not, how do you think about it? No one has directly raised it. It is something that I have thought about, though, as I've been preparing to start work. I brought it up to my sisters, too. I don't think it is a huge issue. I think, if anything, it's definitely a value add. And I feel like I'm going to learn a lot through my consulting job. And I think it's so complimentary to what I do with the Jakari Sisters brand, too. So I think it's definitely a win-win situation. But no, it is something that feels kind of new. It feels different. I know that not everybody has this. But on my end, I know that I can learn a lot from both sides. Right. And I think, again, the thing that really gives people, I'm going to say, power in their jobs is extreme competence. 
because people start to depend on you, your bosses, your partners start to depend on you. And all of a sudden you gain power because people want to hear what you have to say. That's actually the single best way to manage up and it's the single best way to actually have influence even when you're more junior in an organization. Just be great. Just be great at it. <laughs> it's not that hard, right? Just be great at it. And all of a sudden you get a lot more leeway. Not everybody kind of gets that. Okay, so that's great to hear. It's very interesting to think about. I'm wondering, have you looked at other, I don't know whether you want to call it best practice examples of people, I'll call it dual career, let's say, where you have this kind of side thing that's more than side, but you have a mainstream career. Have you found, maybe there's some individuals you know that are doing things like this. Although again, I look at what you're doing and it's not your typical side business in that it's about you. It's your personality. There's a physicality to the three of you and you're dancing. So it's not a standard thing, but I'm wondering, have you seen any comps, so to speak, right, of anyone else doing something, but not just doing this, but doing another career, I'll call it a more traditional career at the same time. Yeah, Omika, you have. Yeah, over the past year, we've met so many people, I mean, met in quotation marks, because they're mostly people that we've met through social media who seem to be doing something similar, but then they also have more mainstream traditional careers. And that's been so inspiring to us because they have careers that are similar to ours, but they also do content creation or some sort of online business. And it's interesting to talk to them and figure out how they're balancing everything. And it seems to just come down to different priorities. They will often block off their weekends or certain parts of their evenings to work on their sort of non-traditional business idea that they're doing. And and focus a lot of time on their main career as well. But it does seem like it's becoming more popular, honestly. A lot of classmates that I talked to even at Tuck were asking me how I manage everything because they were also thinking about doing something similar before they were going to start their full-time roles. So it seems like it's something that a lot of people are thinking about. And I think in our generation, especially people are starting to realize that it's really empowering to have multiple interests and passions, but also multiple income streams. So as the internet has blossomed over the past few years, that's just become easier. There's a lot less friction to do that. So it feels like people are really taking advantage of that and are taking more control of their lives, especially now, even with the flexible work environments of COVID, people are really starting to do that. It's really interesting the way you just described that, because again, traditionally that wasn't the case, but more and more you do see it. And this idea of multiple streams of income by doing more than one different thing, a related term that someone once said to me and and it stuck with me is not just multiple streams of income, but multiple streams of impact, which I love that term because it doesn't require or assume that there's monetization or not. There could be, and that's great if there is, but it doesn't have to be. But it's about impacting other people and finding multiple ways to do it. Usually, most people think about it sequentially, you know, over time. Well, I'll do this, then I'll do this, then I'll do this. And I think what you're describing, what you guys are living already at the very, very beginning of your career, really, is not sequentially, but at the same time, right? Simultaneously. It's a very interesting model. And the fact that there are other people you've been talking to, quite a few other people that you're talking to that are doing the same thing, makes me think I should do a little bit of research on this, make for a good article in Harvard Business Review, because I don't think there's a lot of management research or leadership research or strategy research on this, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. So what part of India is your family from? Uh, Rish? Our parents are from Gujarat, which is in the west side of India, and they emigrated from Gujarat to the U.S. in the 1980s. In the 1980s. And so you, have you guys all gone back to visit with your parents at, at various times? You still have family there? Yeah. What is it like there? How would you describe it, Rish? What is life like from where your parents are from? 
Yeah, we've been really fortunate and lucky to have visited India a few times and to have visited family that still lives there. It's always really interesting when we go because, you know, when we come from the U.S., we have this idea that we are this hyphenated Indian American identity. But then when we go to India, we're seen as Americans. And so it's always really interesting. And I think I personally, as I've gotten older, I've come to, you know, grapple a bit more with what it means when I go to India, how people perceive me as somebody who has grown up in the U.S. and how they think that shapes the Indian part of my identity. That's also really interesting. And I want to ask more about the region your family is from and how that's affected or influenced your creativity. But you said something, Rich, that has an extension to a broader point that I've seen in some research. It's really interesting. So you're an Indian American. That's how you describe yourself. But when you're there, you're an American. And without making this too kind of academic, there's an in-group and an out-group. And within the in-group, people know their differences. They know that they're different. And to think that people living in America as an in-group is a bit odd, but in this example, that's what it is. And then when you go externally, they don't notice those differences and everybody's the same. So for example, people of color. Well, there's a word that for white people, everyone's people of color. They're all in the same category and they're outside. But anyone who's a person of color is very well aware that there are lots of religions and races and ethnicities and countries that are built into there. So it's not a good or bad thing. It's just that's how people think. And I always find that interesting. The research I'm thinking of was actually done with a lot of different groups. It looked at different branches of Judaism. It looked at vegans and vegetarians, which is really kind of funny. And I don't know, a whole bunch of others. I'll put that in the show notes if anyone wants to read an article about that. I always found it fascinating. Yeah, so let's go back to the cultural heritage. And why did your parents come in the first place? Why did they emigrate to America? Ashika? Yeah, they emigrated to the United States like most immigrants do because of America being the land of opportunity. I think that oftentimes in India... You can get stuck in, you know, what your parents are doing and you just sort of stay in what your family's business is. But moving to America, it meant that there is so much more opportunity. You can study for higher education. You can sort of choose your own career path. And then obviously your children would have the opportunity to do whatever they wanted to do and go to whichever schools they wanted to go to. So that's most of the reason why our parents came here. I mean, it was a completely foreign land to them. They didn't know many people here. It was just a couple other family members that were also here. So they really did it for us and to have that possibility to do whatever we wanted. And as you've seen, we've sort of been able to explore so many different career paths with just the three of us. So they kind of did that so that we would be able to do that. And then our children will be able to do that and so on. Would you have been able to do what you're doing if you were all in India right now, if you lived it full time in India? Yeah, I mean, if we had grown up there, I think it would have been a very different situation. We also probably would have been pushed to study education there and continue our degrees there. But I think it would have been a very different situation growing up there. But if we were to move there now, I think we could still do what we're doing. There are groups, though, in India, there are probably many groups that are doing that because you talk about dancing, traditional dances. And I'm curious if there are some that have also created these brands within India or across the globe. That's the case. Yeah, we've seen a ton of groups come up, especially through social media. It's been pretty easy to track that, especially on YouTube. I would say there are a ton of dancers and creators from all over the world, from the Indian diaspora. I think because Bollywood is so prominent, I mean, I think it's the biggest film industry in the world. There's a ton of opportunity in Mumbai and there's so many dancers there. Everyone's trying to make it over there and they're publishing all the time. So that's where all the action is happening. And again, because of social media, it's pretty easy to see all of that for us as well. But I think over the past several years, it's become even more prominent. And now even in Hollywood, people are learning Bollywood dance and they're incorporating it into movies. And uh, there's a lot of crossover. So that's pretty exciting. 
Right. Have you guys experienced very much racism, discrimination? I ask that because, of course, we're in a terrible time for many years. And most recently, I would say it's awareness about Asian Americans. It's not that it never happened before, but now it's finally getting in the press, just like, well, not just like, but analogous to what happened with Black Lives Matter. The events were going on, the bad things were going on for a long time, but it just kind of hit the media and there's a recognition of it. But have you, because you're now brands and what you're doing is based on your culture. It's based on who you are. So it's not a side note. It is front and center to who you are. Have you had to deal with this a little bit? Yeah, I can jump in on that. I think as a brand, and between the three of us, I want to say I don't think that we've experienced racism. And maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. And maybe we have and maybe there were like, microaggressions that we've seen on social media. And maybe Omika and Michelle can also add to it if they have. But I think individually between the three of us, we've definitely experienced racism, and especially in dance. And we've sort of recognized it as we get older and older. So when I went to Georgia Tech, I was a student athlete on the dance team there. And a lot of times I was told that I couldn't further my dance career in specific professional dance teams because of the color of my skin. And so that's sort of how I've... Sorry to interrupt. Somebody actually said that to you? Yeah. So in the NFL and NBA, they have cheerleaders and dancers. And I was told by like other people that I couldn't pursue this because of the color of my skin. And it's sad to see that oftentimes there's not enough representation in the NFL and NBA with dancers, but obviously that's changing and growing. And obviously I can sort of be the first to do that in certain teams and all of that. But I was definitely told that multiple times. And so that's sort of the racism I felt as a dancer. But Omika and Rishikov probably also had their own individual instances. And luckily between the three of us, our platform hasn't seen it. And maybe I'm missing something and maybe we have, but that's not something that's very prominent within our comments or our DMs. So that's sort of nice to see. Yeah, that's great. Rashika, what's your sense of this? Yeah, it's an interesting question because as Ashika mentioned, I don't think as a brand we've explicitly experienced any racism. But that being said, I do think that as South Asian creators, it's sometimes easy to feel like we are the token South Asian content creators that brands may want to collaborate with. And it feels like we still have a long way to go that you know, the space for South Asian creators isn't as vast as it may be for other demographics that are creating content. It still feels like we might be competing against other South Asian creators for that one spot that exists. And I think the goal right now is to get the space to open up as much as possible so that South Asian creators do become like the default, just as other demographics are right now. Yeah. So it's encouraging that as a group, you haven't really experienced that, but we all live our lives and discover things that are unfortunate. What you just said, Ashika, though, still gets me because the NFL and the NBA, who's playing in these leagues? There's so many black players, you know, black, but you're a person of color, let's say. Well, it doesn't seem to make sense, actually, but you heard it and you heard it more than once. So let's go back to the brand and the idea. So I think I saw somewhere you're in the category of multimedia arts and lifestyle brands and who else is in there that listeners might know and maybe many won't although younger people will i guess <laughs> but maybe many people my age might not know because these are more social media brands but i'm still interested are there any other comps so to speak any other brands that are doing something similar in terms of outreach not necessarily dancing not necessarily sisters it could be a comedy group it doesn't really matter the content is not what i'm interested in it's the ability to establish yourself as a lifestyle type of brand are you aware of some others and who might they be? Anyone can jump in because I'm not sure if anyone has seen any. You know, Mika? Yeah, so when I think about creators who are in this arts and lifestyle space, there are definitely a ton that we've come across in the past couple of years who inspire us. 
And two amazing South Asian women who are in this space include Nabella, who does a lot of lifestyle content and has a YouTube channel. And she's pretty popular in that space. And there's also Deepika, who runs a makeup brand called Live Tinted. And that's gotten a lot of attention from Sephora and various big makeup brands as well. So she's doing a ton in that space. But it kind of runs a gamut in terms of beauty, art, fashion. There's a lot of people who are doing a ton in that space. So when I think about Instagram influencers, for example, and they could be on TikTok, of course, but they're not necessarily performing in the way that you are. And so is there some degree of uniqueness to the fact that your content is a performance as opposed to being, I don't know, just an Instagram personality with photos and clever posts and interacting in various places, you know, which I think is kind of interesting. And it makes me wonder, can you actually create an album, quote unquote? Are you able to do that? Is that something you've ever thought of? Like an album meaning an album of music, except this case, it would be a video album of you performing various creations that could be based on all sorts of things. They could be cover album (laughs) where you do things that are already established, or they could be your version of those. Can you do that? Sounds like you didn't add that to your to-do list yet. (laughs) I don't know whether others have done that because I'm always looking for analogies and comparables that I and others will be able to place what you do into perspective because a lot of people, I'm just not familiar with it. So what's comparable? Well, If you're a content creator and you're in the entertainment business and you do dances, you could create a video type of album of sorts that I guess we wouldn't call it songs, but performances could get streamed and downloaded where you can put it all together. Yes, Rashika. Sure, I can take this. So we have recently ventured out to use YouTube and we've been building our YouTube channel. So I think one thing that comes to mind is posting YouTube videos, which are compilations of different dances that we've done. And the nice thing about YouTube is that it's a streaming service. It's very accessible to people all over the globe. And you can actually see similar to albums. You can see how many people have streamed your music. With YouTube videos, you can see how many views you've received on that video. So we've been posting some videos of compilations of our dance which has been something that comes to mind when I think of something that can be analogized to a music album, for example. Similarly, TikTok has also created a new feature called a playlist. So you can basically group videos that have similar things. So for example, we did it based on genre. So we have the Gerber Ross genre, and we added all the Gerber Ross TikToks that we have into this playlist. So when people go to our profile on TikTok, they can click that playlist and see all of them in a row. And they're able to access it easier than going through our feed and trying to find it. So it's kind of similar to like a compilation. Has anyone ever put together kind of an, I'll use the term, like an integrated album. I don't know what the right language would be. So an album, the way we think about an album of music, but integrated in the sense that there's a theme. It's like a book. It's meaningful. Each performance relates to the others in some way. And there's some storytelling that's going on. You know, when you think about some of the greatest music albums, rock albums, pop albums ever made, there's a real powerful story from song to song. In that case, it's music, it's singing. But in your case, it's performance, it's dance. But has anyone ever done that? Or is that something you've seen or thought about at all? I can't think of anyone who's ever done that, but that's definitely a really interesting idea where it could turn into some sort of storytelling because oftentimes we use one dance to tell one story, but this could sort of be like a bigger theme where you can use different things to tell one big story. So... That's definitely very innovative. And I think that's something we could definitely try in the future. Well, you do see that for dance groups, right? Professional dance troops, Polobius, which is a Dartmouth-based group, is known for that. And a lot of modern art, modern dance does that. So you do see that where there's a kind of a story arc from beginning to end. 
but they tend to be just a very small number of performances, two or three or four, as opposed to when I think about an album, I think about, you know, eight to 12 songs or performances. Yeah, it's just interesting to analogize and think about what's possible. What are your goals here with this? I think you've discovered, you know, something's happened, something really cool has happened. You've jumped on it. You're pushing it forward. Have you actually set up some real goals for what you want to see or what you want to do the way a business would do? Ashika? Yeah, so when we first were trending and viral, we kind of all came together and we're like, let's make a vision board and see where do we want to see this business in one year, in five years, in 10 years. And so we sort of compiled all the things that we'd love to do, which is, you know, related to beauty, fashion, dance, lifestyle. And so that's sort of our goal in, you know, sort of any timeline. But in the next year or so, we sort of want to collab with more people that we've always looked up to, but now we actually have connections with. Since over quarantine, we were able to connect with a lot of content creators that, again, we used to follow, but now they know who we are. So in the next year or so, we really want to get out there and meet them in person, collab with them, and see how we can benefit from each other. And then in the next five years, obviously, we want to sort of go into other spaces like fashion and beauty, which we haven't yet explored completely, but we want to take dance into those spaces. So that's sort of our one and five year goals. We don't know where this will be in 10 years at all. I mean, things change so rapidly. Social media changes so rapidly. So we'll really see what happens. But just in the past year, so much has changed and we're excited to see where it goes. And then additionally, we did a lot of virtual collabs and classes over the past year. So in the next year or so, we also want to do a lot of in-person workshops. We've grown up taking a lot of dance classes. So we're actually teaching our first in-person workshop together in about a month, which is really exciting because due to COVID, we weren't able to do that. But now we're sort of branching into that. And then hopefully after one workshop and a couple more workshops, we'll be able to do some sort of tour where we're teaching dance classes all over the U.S. and maybe even in other countries. So we're really excited about traveling together. So I think about it and I say, okay, well, what are your products or services? Actually, before that, the first question is, well, what kind of company, what kind of business are you? And it sounds like there's an advertising agency content creation side to it. I don't know if that's the way you would describe it, but it seems like that's a big part when you're partnering with other brands. But then I think, well, what are the products that you have? And then the natural question is, well, how do you scale those products? Because that's how you really make money at anything. How do you scale it? And can we create a product that is scalable? I don't know what the answers are to this, but these are the questions that probably Amika's got you thinking about already and you're going to continue to think about. And then the other thing I think about, and that gets to your point, Ashika, about fashion or beauty, is what skill set do you have that could be leveraged to create new opportunities? And that would be your personalities and your brand, which would enable you to go into different categories. And that would be an entirely other way to monetize. And then for each of these other categories, you think about how do I scale it? So that's your homework from the business school professor in your spare time. It'll be your third job to write a new business plan for this. It's very cool. And I'm excited uh, for the three of you. I think it's great. And I'm happy to hear you haven't hit too many roadblocks in corporate America so far, which to me is very positive. I would have anticipated a little tougher, but maybe the world's changing faster than it has. What do your parents say about all this? We've been so lucky. They've been very supportive of all of our pursuits since we were little. I mean, they're the ones who encouraged us to dance. Obviously, they also pushed us in school, but they made us feel like we could pursue many things at once. And they always encouraged us to follow our passions and hobbies, which is awesome, especially for immigrant parents. So they've been so excited. And now they show our videos to all their friends and they talk us up all the time. So it's always funny to observe that. I feel like they're our little PR managers sometimes, but they've been nothing but great. 
Yeah. Well, I imagine that they have a lot to be proud of because we're each accomplishing your traditional careers already and then doing this thing that has a huge potential. So good for you. Yeah, I'll look forward to seeing more, lots of more. And, you know, Amika, when you've got your scaling strategy worked out, you send me a little note about that. There could be a case study in this one. You never know. So thank you very much, Omika, Ashika, Rishika, Jakaria, the Jakaria sisters on the Sidcast. It's a pleasure. We'll put into the show notes some of the TikTok clips and other clips, YouTube clips. Half of my listeners don't even know what TikTok is, so we'll keep it on YouTube. And people have a chance to at least see it firsthand. Thanks very much, everyone. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Sidcast. I'm really excited to be bringing you season three and really appreciative that you've chosen to listen to this episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the series and you will never miss a single episode. I welcome all feedback and I'd love to hear from you. I've gotten some great commentary over the course of the first two seasons and lots of great suggestions as well. You can contact me via my website, www.thesidcast.com or you could email me directly at sidfinkelstein at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, I hope you'll tune into another one of our episodes and please give us a five-star review and share with others who you think would enjoy and benefit from the show as well. The Sidcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company. <laughs>